Do please sit down. Well, it really is just great to see you here. What a fantastic church that wants to come out on a Wednesday night. Um, well, I suppose it's almost spring-like today, but it's still winter, really. But fantastic that we can be together and that, that we're wanting to, to grow as, um, as a family at Christ Church. And there's a few guests here as well, and you're so welcome to join us on this kind of journey that we're making We've called it Transforming Life, um, because as well as the ministry of the Spirit, as well as the Scriptures, as well as the ministry of worship, where we are reflecting God's glory, we also are transformed as we learn how to fight with the weapons that God has given us. And Transforming Life is all about our lives being transformed as we learn how to use the weapons of God's warfare to pull down the strongholds. That's what this course has been about. And if you're just catching up from, um, you're here for the first time or you missed the week, um, I just want to uh, give you a very brief summary. God has this amazing plan for you and I. I tend to call it his intended purpose. It isn't a restrictive thing. It doesn't mean he's planned every moment of every day or that he's planned whether you should go to the shops at 8 o'clock in the morning or 9 o'clock in the morning. But it means he has a purpose. Uh, God says, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you, to give you a future and a hope. He says, every one of you is a member of the body of Christ. And some of you might not think you have a part to play, but the scripture says that's not true. You belong in the body of Christ, and God has a role and a part for you to play. It says that to each one, the spirit is given. There are spiritual gifts that God has given you. And if you put your gifts together and the specific purpose that God has planned for you, this, you'll see that there's something unique about every person. The blend of gifts, the part and the role that they play in the body, there's a unique purpose that God has for you. In the book of Revelation, every saint is given a white stone with a name written on it, known only to you and the Lord. It's like God saying, I have something precious which is just about you and as a part of God's wonderful nature that if you don't reflect it to the world the world will never see it because no one else is going to reflect it quite like you your name Jesus says is written on God's hands there is an intended purpose that God has for you and I sometimes I've been calling it your promised land because I see the story of God's people in the Old Testament as sort of being a practical example for us. It's a beautiful illustration, a visual aid. That stories that we read about in the Old Testament, they are true for us in our spiritual life with God. The story of, um, the story of Joseph isn't over yet. God is still putting a coat of favour on you, and he still gives dreams to his children to dream. The story of Esther is not over yet. 
For such a time as this, God is raising up his people today. The story of Joshua is not over yet. Even today, we are still making that journey uh, out of slavery into the promised land. And just like Joshua, God says to you and to me, be bold and courageous. And just like Joshua, as we walk into that promised land, we discover that there are strongholds, things that resist God's purpose and plan. And God commanded Joshua and the army that were with him to pull down the strongholds so that the people could settle in the promised land. And Jesus has already won that promised land for us, but our job is now to settle in it. All those things that he has uniquely planned for you, all the things that he has promised us, we now have to inhabit them. We have to to, um, live in the good of them. And when we try to do that, we often find that it's not quite as straightforward as we might have thought. Because these strongholds that stand in our way, you can't just wish them away. We don't just close our eyes and hope that they'll not be there when we open them again. And we've been sharing how in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, the Apostle Paul writes the church in Corinth and says, pull down the strongholds. He says we have divine weapons that God has given us to the pulling down of strongholds. As we start to walk the Christian life, we discover that while we know a lot of theory about God's truth, and it's all good truth, it's somehow a little bit harder to live it. I know that God uh, gives grace to the humble. I know this, but I'm still proud I still leap in there sometimes, thinking, Tim, Tim will do it. I can do this. And I know that I can't. But I find when I just at that point I need humility, I find there's pride in my heart. And I don't want it there, because I know it's restricting some of the great plan and purpose God has for me. Pride is a stronghold. And I need to use the weapons that God has given me to tear it down in my life so that I can freely move into the land that God has promised me. I know that I'm called to be a warrior for Christ, but sometimes I feel weak and discouraged. Discouragement for some of us is a stronghold and we have to learn how to tear it down. God has called us to be mighty warriors, but we will find that there are things that oppose God's plan and purpose. Strongholds that need to be torn down. I want to be a person of faith. But just at that point where I want to be faith-filled, I found doubts in my heart. And I don't want them there, but they're there. And if I'm honest, they're the same doubts that come over and over and over again. These have become familiar things in my life. Doubt is a stronghold. And many of us will struggle with it. And we ha- it's no good hoping it will go away. God says, you tear it down. Recognize, doubt isn't natural to you. It's a stronghold. It's an enemy that has come against your life. And God is saying, learn how to fight. Doubt is a stronghold. It isn't just a, a feeling. It's not just a thought. It has spiritual power. It prevents us from taking faith risks that God is urging us to take. 
We don't always see the healing or the, um, the things that God might have planned for us because doubt holds us back. I know that I'm loved and special. I know it. I've been reading it in the Bible for over 35 years. But insignificance still sometimes raises its kind of head in my heart. Even though I know I'm loved, insignificance is not just a feeling. It's not just because uh, somebody said something nasty about me at school 25 years ago or whenever. Now, that may have been a contributing factor, but insignificance is a stronghold. It has spiritual power. It's not going to go just because we try harder to think that we're loved. It goes, and its power is broken when we begin to fight, when we begin to pull down the strongholds. I want to be a perseverer, but I know that sometimes I give up. I know that I'm to trust God for things that I can't fix. But sometimes I worry instead and I let anxiety overtake me. And for some of us, that's become a pattern that we're all too familiar with. When difficulty comes, I cave into anxiety. And I know it's not God's intended purpose for me, but I seem to be powerless. But you're not. We're not powerless. In fact, that's exactly what the enemy wants us to think, that we're powerless. We're just victims of the circumstances that have led to this, but it's not true. In Christ, we have everything we need. His divine power is able to pull down every stronghold. It's a lie of the enemy that says this is just the way it's going to be. We don't need to settle for these things. And we've been sharing that these strongholds, and everyone is going to have different strongholds because things have happened in our lives and events have conspired to, to kind of almost make it look as if they're true. And every one of us is wrestling with strongholds of different kinds. And we're saying that freedom, real freedom, is the ability to face every situation exactly the way God intended. And I'm not free if I'm responding with anxiety or insignificance or fear or rejection or pride or arrogance or control. I'm not, I'm not, that's not how God intends me to be. And so he calls us to go to war against them. And when we first hear this, we may be tempted to think, well, really? I mean, do I need to do all this? I mean, isn't it enough just to love God and to serve him? And can't I just trust that, you know, if I'm sometimes a bit anxious or if sometimes I'm a bit proud or if sometimes I cave into anxiety, God, surely God forgives me. Absolutely, God forgives you. We said in week one, that there were four great movements to uh, God's kind of great plan. There was creation at the beginning, and we see the beauty of God's creation all around us. That's movement one. Movement two was the fall. Um, sin and rebellion enters the world, and we see the results of the fall all around us in our world today. The third big movement is redemption. Jesus Christ comes to forgive us our sins. And we can live 
in this third great movement. We can live a forgiven life, but Jesus says, I have come that you might have an abundant life, not just a forgiven life, but a life where the purpose that God originally intended for you before the foundation of the world is restored to you. Restoration is the fourth great movement. If you look in a Bible, if you have a a Bible that has red letters in it with the words of Jesus, as I do, the last words Jesus says in Revelation is, See, I make all things new. I'm restoring everything. Creation has already happened. It's all around us. Fall has already happened. It's all around us. The redemption has already taken place in Jesus Christ. But if we want to go from redemption to restoration, there will always be a power encounter of some kind. There has to be. It's not possible to go, that is terrible writing. (laughs) That's appalling. Lots of Christians just live a redeemed life. But God said, I want to restore to you what has been stolen by the enemy. I want to restore my original plan and purpose, not just a forgiven life, a restored life. And to get from here to here, there will always be a power encounter of some kind. There has to be a transaction. It's just not possible to move into restoration without some kind of encounter because there are powers and forces at work that are preventing you from moving into restoration. Pride, insignificance, uh, we can name them different things, control, fear, anxiety. These things are not going to go because we wish them away. They have to be defeated through the power of Jesus Christ and the weapons of our warfare and we have to enact them. A power encounter has to take place so that we can overcome the things that stop us from moving into restoration. I wanted to just pause there and ask, anyone, any questions on that bit? I'm very happy to kind of answer some questions. If there's something you think, oh, I really don't get that, I'd rather know, because you'll probably speak for several others as well if you do. Okay, I'm going to move on, but, you know... Yeah, letting God's presence take over. I mean, we can't always see God's presence, but we see the fruits of it as his presence comes. I guess that would be... His presence often is a power encounter, but I think my experience has been in my own life that some of the things I've struggled with over and over... And I've been honest with you about some of, the, some of the things that I wrestle with in my own life. Things that I think have tried to prevent me from being the person that God wanted me to be. I have found that I enjoy the presence and power of, of God because that's been one for me at redemption. And I love when the Holy Spirit's presence is powerfully there. And I, I, I love basking in the presence of God. And I've been doing it for years and I've encountered God many times in that place where because of what Jesus has done upon the cross, the gift of the Spirit is poured out. I love it. But I've still got the same thing going on. Uh, um, yes, sometimes they are just feelings, but they're quite powerful feelings. 
Yeah. Is, there, is there a question, Michelle? I think we need to just keep it to... Sorry. Do ask a question, but I probably can't get into a discussion. But if there's a question, I can answer that. Yeah, okay. Let's, well, we can do that in the group later on. Um, I think that'll probably be easier to do that. Are there any other questions? Okay, I'm going to move on. We can ask more questions in the group, so that's what the tables are for. Um, and I want to leave more time for our groups today, so um, let's move on to this. Um, there's forgiveness, uh, always forgiveness, for those things that have um, stopped me from moving fully into the power and presence of God's restoration. There's always forgiveness, but I don't want to just live here. I, I want to move into restoration and therefore we're going to look today at how do we pull down the strongholds what are what are some of the weapons of our warfare that paul talks about that we need to exercise he says that we need to use them um, but our experience is that very often we don't know how to use them very well and so that's what we're going to be doing a little bit of today. Freedom does not come uh, through self-help techniques or positive thinking. Freedom can't be earned or won from God by our own efforts. And nor does it actually come just by reading the scriptures over and over and over again. I absolutely think that we should read the scriptures over and over and over again. But I've been reading the scriptures about God's love for me over and over and over again, but I still sometimes question my significance I still sometimes question whether God will really come through for me in some of the situations I face. Why is that? Why, despite all that knowledge, do I sometimes still feel those things? You say, well, they're just a feeling, but they're more than feelings because they actually stop me from enjoying the the grace of God fully. They stop me from enjoying his his plan, his purpose. They they prevent me from doing that because I, I, I find they affect me. And that's because strongholds are spiritual. They have spiritual power. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against these spiritual forces and powers. The forces that we wrestle with is something that God says you need to do if you want to move into restoration, and we do. And we know this because um, we don't tend to do it so much now. I don't know whether Graham would agree with this, but you know, in the, in the hymnody of uh, the past, um, onward Christian soldiers and you know, fight the good fight, we were comfortable with the idea that, that actually there's a battle on, that there's a fight to be fought. And I think sometimes we're afraid of that language today, but, you know, we shouldn't be, because the Bible says that this is, this is the way it is. When the author John White uh, put together his primer on the Christian life, he called it the fight, because that sums up what God has called us to, to move from redemption, which is the free gift of Jesus Christ, into uh, restoration. Um, and I put in your notes there, there are, there are kind of people have long described the six sufferings of humankind. I got this from um, uh, Bob Gordon, so I think there are one or two people here that probably know this better than I do. Uh, but he summed it up probably in the best way. Uh, he says that there are six sufferings of humankind, but lots of people have put this together as well. Um, and they all come about as a result of the fall, which we have described in uh, Genesis chapter 3. 
when uh, Adam and Eve eat from the forbidden fruit, uh, we see the effect that immediately came into the world. Firstly, guilt and condemnation came into the world. Adam and Eve hide themselves from God. They're ashamed. Adam says, I was naked, I was ashamed, and so I hid. Guilt and condemnation entered the world. Oppression entered the world. Um, God says, for this reason, um, the serpent will have dominion over you for a certain period of time. Uh, because you have believed the voice of the serpent above the voice of God. And so oppression by the devil entered into our world. He has become what Paul calls in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the God of this world. Satan is the God, with a small g, of this world. Pain and suffering entered our world. God says, because of this, you will have to labor by the sweat of your brow to produce even the bare minimum of food that you need. It's going to be a struggle uh, for you to do this. Uh, it's going to hurt. Um, it's not going to be easy as it would have been, as God intended it to be. It's going to hurt. Anxiety and care have entered because he says you're going to have to wonder. You will always be anxious. Will there be enough? Will the ground produce enough food? There will be drought years. There will be famine years. And anxiety about whether there will even be enough to keep you alive. This is now a reality in a fallen world. Death entered the world. God says, on the day you eat of it, you shall die spiritually. And Adam and Eve found that death certainly did enter this world when they ate from that fruit. And then uh, finally, rejection and separation from God. God says, because of this, you can no longer live in the garden, you can no longer live in that place where I walk in the cool of the day. And he sends them out of the garden uh, to make their way in the world. And he puts two uh, flaming swords in the hands of cherubim to guard the way back in so they can't get back in. It's a picture of separation. There's now a separation come between God and humankind. And what we see upon the cross is that Jesus, in his death and in his body, he deals with every one of those six kind of great, um, great, they're called the woes of humankind, it's kind of rather Victorian language, but it's the effects of the fall, the effects of the fall. On the cross, Jesus um, forgives sins. Guilt and shame is taken away because Jesus bears it for us upon the cross. Oppression from the devil is broken because upon the cross, Jesus disarms the powers and the authorities, making their very real power now null and void in your life. He says that upon the cross, he took our pain and our suffering. He says, by my wounds, you have been healed. Anxiety and care were dealt with upon the cross. Because Jesus was crucified, he's able to say, now you can cast all your anxiety upon me because I've demonstrated my care for you. And you can trust it because I gave everything you needed, even to my own life upon the cross. Upon the cross, death was defeated. Uh, on the cross, Jesus dies in the body, but he is raised again to new life. And upon the cross itself, rejection and separation are, are banished forever, because on the cross, Christ has made peace between God and us. 
And on one hand, God holds the hand of his Father, and the other hand, he holds out to you or me. And anyone who will take it and says, I will be the bridge between you. Anyone who comes to me is reconciled back to the Father through the cross. Upon the cross, Jesus deals and makes freedom possible from all the effects of the fall. And we now want to live not just in this place of redemption, but we want to put into practice all that Jesus died to win for us, to overcome the effects of fallenness, so that we can live not just a redeemed life, but a restored life. To go back to God's original intention for my life. How he intended it to be when he first created it. We'll never be fully there, probably in this life. It's going to take eternity to get us fully there. But we can start. We can start. You can live here, but why would you want to? Let's learn how to fight some battles. Let's learn how to put into action the victory of Jesus. And let's start taking some ground. And start to see God do amazing things. The cross is where the power of God, there's no other power except the power of the cross. And what you and I now have to do is we have to connect to the power of the cross so that the power of the cross flows into my life, so that its very real power connects to me. I don't know anything about medicine, really. My son is a junior doctor, but... Um, all I really know about medicine is what I've seen, from, seen on sort of episodes of Casualty from time to time, which probably isn't that uh, realistic. But all I know is that when somebody's seriously ill, they often talk about getting a line in. I don't know if it's a line of what, I have no idea. But they often say, I've got a line. Have you got a line in? Yeah, I've got a line in. They're, they're going to be fine because they've got a line in. I have no idea what that is. Um, it's a drip or something. Maybe it's got some magic stuff in it. But anyway, I've got a line in. And you see them all hooked up to all these things. And um, it's giving them life-saving something. Uh, what is it? What is it? No. Antibiotic. You can put anything in it, can't you? Once you've got that little thing, they put a little gadget, don't they, in your wrist, and they can put anything they like through it. Um, scary, isn't that, really? Well, in a way, what we've got to do is we've got to get a line. We've got to get a line in from the cross into my spirit so that, so that the power of the cross is flowing through my life flowing into my life. And all these weapons of our warfare, they are ways of connecting to the cross so that its power and its victory flows into my life, so that Jesus' victory becomes enacted in my life. And, and I, I, I understand that some of us will sort of think, oh, gosh, this is interesting. I kind of can't deny that this is true, but really, is this... So, and I understand that because I think when I tried to grasp this myself, um, I, I kind of wrestled with it a bit. I mean, do I need to do all this? I just love Jesus. I, I'm in Christ Jesus. Doesn't, isn't it already just happening? Do I, don't I just trust that as I love Jesus and walk with him through life that somehow this stuff is just happening? Why, why do I need to do anything else? Why do I need anything more than that? And the answer is, well, it probably is happening as we love Jesus and as we walk with him. But I want the Holy Spirit to be flowing through me unhindered. I don't want there to be... The Holy Spirit has to get from here uh, into the world. 
And God has said, I'm going to do it through my people. So the Holy Spirit is coming down from heaven. It's going to come to you, and it's going to come through you to the world. But if there's stuff in my life that's in the way, if there's strongholds in the way, the Spirit of God will come into my life, but it's restricted. It's slowing it down. It's not going to be as easy as it should be, or as it could be, or as it would be. Learning how to fight will enable us to see more of the Spirit of God flowing through us. We want to create an unhindered channel for the Spirit of God to flow through us. I've, um, I'll give you uh, an example. I, for some reason, uh, have wrestled all my life feeling that I don't really have much to uh, share. Now, you may laugh and say he's joking. I, I, I'm telling you the truth. Uh, Jan is my witness, my only witness here. Uh, I have uh, often been invited to go to places and say, would you share, would you speak, uh, and do some teaching and stuff in different places. And for years I said no, because I hated the anxiety that would build up in me the weeks running up to going. I remember 10 years ago, uh, when we were just beginning to get into all this teaching, I was invited to go to, uh, to Sweden, to teach the, the New Wine uh, Summer Conference to do the Bible readings for the New Wine Conference. This is a big conference. This is thousands of people. It's got all across Scandinavia. And they said, would you do them? And I was really privileged to be asked. And I, so I thought about it. And th- I thought, no, I won't. But I felt God saying to me, I want you to do them. Tim, I, I've made you to do this. So I said yes. That must have been in about February. And from about the end of February until July, I regretted every single day I had said yes. I began to panic about what I should share. I couldn't think of what to do. Everyone kept saying, oh, just do what you did last Sunday, Tim. It was fine. It was great. Everyone will love it. You know, we loved it. It was great. And I'd look at my notes, and it was just like nothing. They're just, they're just empty notes. There's no life in them. And, um, and I got in a right state. And even as I'm on the plane on the way over, I'm saying, God, this is, oh, why am I doing this? This is this is a bad idea. Um, and, and actually, God already came through, because God does to me always. And actually, they, they kind of went okay, and there was some really good ministry, and some people said it was really helpful. I got some really great feedback from it. But it left me wiped out. I was so miserable. And I remember flying home and thinking to myself, right, I've had enough of this. That's it. That's it. I'm done with this. I am going to accept the invitations that come, and I've got to learn how to deal with this stuff, because I think this is what God wants me to do. And I've been on a journey to learn. I don't know why that stuff's there, but every time it would be the same. That same thing, you're not up to this. I would have a voice in my head. You don't come from a Christian family. You haven't got anything to share. No one's going to listen to you. Why would they? Look at all your colleagues. They've got a much better take on all of this. They know how to preach properly. Come on, what are you going to share of any value to anybody? Who do you think you are doing this? You're way out of your depth, Tim. You're out of your depth now. You're way out of your depth. You're not an international speaker. Who do you think you are? Stop it now, Tim. Don't go. Don't go. But God had a plan and a purpose, but it's restricted. The enemy is energizing strongholds in my life that come from my upbringing, that come from all kinds of things, too boring to go into. But they were tripping me up every single time, making my life miserable until the day I decided, I've had enough about this. This is not going to happen any longer. And I chose to go to war against this because I know that in God's restored plan for me, I am uh, called to be a teacher 
I have the word of God alive in me. I know I have the call of God upon my life to love his people through teaching them. And I know that I have to move into my purpose and I've got to overcome the strongholds that are trying to, t- to take me down and to prevent me from being that person that God originally intended me to be. I'm going to Sweden again this weekend and on Monday I get the same familiar thing. I've learned now and I knew it was coming. And in the middle of the night, I wake up, as I knew I would, Monday night. Tim, what are you doing? You haven't got anything worth sharing at all. The notes you've just put together for Saturday morning, new wine. I mean, come on, Tim, useless. Look at, useless. I got them out. Yeah, they're useless. But now I've learned this is a stronghold. I stand up in the bathroom in front of the mirror. In the name of Jesus, I, I rebuke the enemy I rebuke every way he's tried to stir up insignificance in my life and inadequacy. I take authority over you in the name of Jesus. How dare you rob me of the plan and the purpose that God had? This isn't my idea. It's what God intended. And you know what? Because I've learned how to get into this and I've learned to to come in faith against it, it begins to lift almost instantly now. But at first it takes some time. I'd love to say, it never bothers me at all anymore. But I think sometimes these things, it's almost like you learn, you you live with them, but you learn how to fight them better. They never completely go in some ways, but you learn better how to fight them. I can deal with this now. I'm not fully prepared. I don't know exactly what I'm going to do on Sunday afternoon, but actually, I'm fine, because I know it's going to be okay. And I think God's got it, and that's okay. But I would not have been like that ten years ago. I, I, I can only give you examples from my own life, but there'll be others that, that you will know where, where you know God has called you to be a person of faith, but anxiety pulls you down and stops you from being that person of faith. You know that God has called you uh, to, be, um, uh, to be holy and to reflect his holiness in the world, but you know those sins that just seem to come again and again, the same things, and you can't seem to kick it, and you can't seem to get over it. It's like an addiction. Because sin is a power, it's a stronghold. Sin isn't just bad stuff you do and you should stop doing it and start being a good boy or girl. It's just not like that. Sin is a power. And it takes power to break it. And it has to take intentional, deliberate exercising of our authority that comes from the cross of Jesus. He's given us that authority. We have to exercise it to pull down the strongholds. So, what are our weapons? We're going to look at just a couple tonight, and then we've got a few more we can look at um, uh, next week as well. And the first uh, one I want to show you is, is faith. Faith connects us to the power of the cross. Um, and faith is exercised by coming to a position of trust, and we speak out. Faith is, um, becomes rooted in us as we speak it out. That's why we declare the truth of what God is. We declare it by speaking it out. When God creates the world in Genesis 1, how does he do it? He speaks, doesn't he? He says, let there be light. And the power of his word caused it to happen. His word is so powerful, it was not just word spoken, it was creative word. It brought into being the thing that God spoke. And then God creates the world, and on the last day, the sixth day, he creates us, humankind. Whose image does God create us in? What's his model for creating humankind? Himself. 
So what does that do to your words? It makes them creative. It makes them more than just words. And we see this, don't we? We see it in both good and evil. We see it when we say untrue things about people, when we say bad things about people, when we don't affirm people and we use our words to pull people down, when we use our words to make people feel small so that we can feel better. And you see the effect. You see how life drains out of somebody when you speak ill against them. Some of you have had that experience. You know when someone speaks against you, it's like a dagger to your heart. A harsh word crushes the spirit, says the writer to Proverbs. Because your words aren't just words, they're creative, they have power. But on the plus side, a kind word, says Proverbs, cheers a person up. It lifts their spirits. When people speak well of you, when people speak into your life, uh, it, it creates life because words are creative. And when we learn how to declare our faith and understand we're not just saying words, but when we speak, we're, 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 we're speaking out and empowering the new creation that God has put within us, then it begins to take on fresh power. It's not just words we're singing off a screen because we're in church and it's what we do. We're, we're speaking over ourselves the creative truth of God. And as we do, it begins to empower the new self that God has placed in me. I'm connecting to the power of the cross, and its power begins to flow through me. Faith, and faith is evidenced by speaking out, by speaking aloud. Sure, sometimes kind words won't, won't work. It's not a, not a you know, a... It's not a guarantee, is it? Because sometimes we, we don't always receive them or, uh, or for whatever reason. But they still have the power, I think, if we were able to let them. So I think that's true that they don't always. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I, I would say that a kind word is a true word. I, people have spoken kind words to me, but they've sometimes been uncomfortably true. So I, I, I don't think that it's just about being nice. I think a, a, a good friend will speak the truth, and that will be an empowering thing for me um, as well. Um, faith is one way that we connect. The second way that I want to look at is, is um, the power of repentance. And... Um, Repentance is a gift from God. It's not. It's far more than saying sorry for things we've done wrong. Many of us become Christians, and when we become a Christian, we repent of our sins, and that's the last we ever think about repentance, because I'm in now, I've, I've got salvation, I'm saved, that's it. Repentance has done its work. Um, but but that's, that's not repentance. Repentance is uh, made up of two words, re, which means to do again, or to, uh, to do, and repentos is your mind. It basically means to, to, to change your mind. Uh, repentance is not only the way into the kingdom of God, it's the way on into his kingdom. Repentance is changing my mind. It means aligning my mind with God's truth and not yielding to the lies of the enemy that he tries to speak into my life. Lies 
uh, will differ from person to person because we said in week two that strongholds were really just lies of the enemy. Its power is because we believe it. And over the years we've believed it, so it's formed these strongholds in our lives. But repentance is a powerful tool and it's this beautiful gift of God. It says in Romans 2, God's kindness leads us to repentance. It's God's kind, kind gift to us. The ability to choose something that goes against my feelings, against what I might think, but to choose to agree with what God says and not to actually yield to what I might feel or think. Um, and we have to learn to practice this, this gift because it's a weapon to be able to align my mind, even though I don't feel it. Even this week, I'm standing, uh, looking at myself, speaking truth to myself that I neither feel nor necessarily think, but I know it's God's truth. I know it's God's truth. And we have to become more comfortable and familiar with God's truth for our lives, to know how God's truth speaks to the strongholds that I face and learn how not only to speak out God's truth, but learn how through repentance to align myself uh, with it. There are, repentance is like a, it's like a spiritual transaction. Um, if you, you go, uh, go on a train, um, the, the train can go in lots of different directions. Um, the points can be set um, like this and the train will go to London. If the points are set this way, the train will go in a different direction. Let's say it will go to Hastings or I don't know where it goes. The, um, the points just move uh, two inches, about that, two inches. It's not a big move, but if you follow it down the line, it leads to a completely different place. Repentance is a small thing. It's a small act, but it sets in motion a hugely different outcome. When you became a Christian, you prayed a simple prayer. You repented of your sins. You asked Jesus to come into your life, and you thanked him that he had done it. And you may not have noticed any difference immediately, because it's a small little thing. What you didn't see is the whole of heaven rejoicing. What you didn't see is the whole of your life now is going to take on a completely different direction. You didn't see all that. You just saw the points change a little bit. It seemed like nothing. Just a couple of inches change. Repentance is like that. It's a small little thing. When we speak out words of repentance, it might seem like a sort of kind of small little thing. How's that going to make such a big difference? Well, you just watch. Just watch. Repentance is a spiritual transaction. And um, repentance, there's, there's different, different um, aspects to it. We call these the five R's, and I've put them down here. These are the five aspects of repentance. The first one is recognize. That means recognize that the thing I'm facing, perhaps my sin or whatever it is that uh, I'm aware of, I have to be willing to recognize, recognize it. Recognize it for what it is. It's anxiety or it's, it's control or it's rejection or whatever the issue I'm, I'm facing I feel is stopping me from, from uh, moving fully into God's plan and purpose. I have to be willing to name it. This isn't negative faith. It's the first part of getting free. Yes, 
I am sometimes anxious. That's a fact, and I don't want to be. It's not how God made me to be, but it's come into my life, and it's become a stronghold, and I'm going to start tearing it down because I'm fed up with it stopping me from enjoying the abundant life that God has prepared for me. Yes, sometimes I feel insignificant. Sometimes I'm full of pride, and I can see it in myself. I have to be willing to name the strongholds that I begin to identify. This is not negative faith. It's just being honest. Positive faith isn't, isn't pretending that something isn't true that is. That's not positive faith. That's just stupid. Positive faith is believing that Jesus Christ has the power to overcome it. That's positive faith. So the first thing is recognizing. Uh, recognize something. When I'm feeling uh, angry or cross with someone, and I'm just aware, I've, when, I, when I see them, I kind of get that, oh, it's them. That's a strong indication that there is unforgiveness in my heart. Unforgiveness is a stronghold. As soon as I see that in my life, I see the effects of it. When I see somebody, I, think, I know that I've been alerted. Recognize, that's a stronghold. That's brilliant, because now you can do something about it, because God doesn't want you to live in enmity with anyone else. He wants us to live in perfect... He, he created you to live in perfect forgiveness with everyone. Well, how amazing would churches be if we just forgave everyone all the time? I'd be out of a job. Um, <laughs> I probably would. Um, so we recognize, and, and we just are willing to say, and we've just given you some, some hints, some of these strongholds that we've named and put names to, and there aren't thousands of them, you know, they're actually in the scriptures, these different strongholds, they're named in the scriptures in different places. These are the core strongholds that the enemy uses, empowers in my life to try and stop me from entering my promised land. But when we're alert to it, uh, repentance is this beautiful gift that we can begin to tear it down. So the first R is recognize, the second is receive. We receive forgiveness for the fact that there is anxiety. You think, really? I never thought of anxiety as a sin. Well, it kind of is. It's not, it's not a sin that, that God's kind of saying, this is awful. God, God's forgiven us our sins. But, but God said, Jesus says, be anxious for nothing, didn't he? Well, I think that's a command, isn't it? He says, he says be anxious for nothing. Did he, did he command us that? He did. Did he say, do not be afraid? He did. So I'm afraid. So that's not right. That's not right. I shouldn't be afraid and I shouldn't be anxious. This is not right. This is all good news. If I know it's not right, now I can begin to put it right. But if I just pretend that it's all kind of okay, really, it's not okay. It's stopping me from entering my promised land. Is trust the same as forgiveness? Um, no, I think trust is, I think forgiveness is something we have to receive. I think it's something we have to be willing to receive by faith, trusting that, that, that what God has done on the cross has forgiven my sin. Um, I mean, we could think about the words differently, but I, I'm using the word receive because I think it's just, well, it makes it neat with five R's as much as anything, but... Um, trust is obviously very important because we have to believe that God has forgiven us. But we, we, in repentance, we not only recognize, we receive forgiveness. And then we actually, the third one is actually the repentance itself. We speak out um, uh, what we have been experiencing or thinking, and we choose 
to repent of it. Lord Jesus Christ, I recognise that there is unforgiveness in my heart towards this person. Lord, I'm sorry. You said forgive one another as you have forgiven me. Lord, I'm so sorry. I've allowed unforgiveness to grow in my heart. Lord, I'm sorry. Would you, I ask your forgiveness for that. After all you've done for me, I can't believe I'm still doing this, but I have, and I'm sorry. And Lord, thank you for your forgiveness, and I receive it now. And now, part three, in Jesus' name, I repent of that unforgiveness. I choose to forgive. I choose to line my mind and my will with God's plan and purpose for me, which is to forgive. And I say it out loud because when I speak it out, faith empowers the new self. So I speak it out, I repent. And then I have to do something else. I have to exercise my authority because unforgiveness is not just an attitude, it's not just some thoughts in my head. Unforgiveness is a stronghold. There is spiritual power in it, making it harder to forgive than just simply, oh yeah, I forgive you. I mean, how many people have said that to you? I forgive you, but you know they haven't. Real forgiveness uh, is going to take spiritual power. So we say, in the name of Jesus, I take authority over the power of bitterness, unforgiveness, and revenge. I recognize that it's a spiritual power, but I exercise my authority in the name of Jesus. I command its power to be broken in my life now. And I will no longer give access to unforgiveness. Father, I choose to replace unforgiveness with forgiveness. I choose to do that. Lord, is there anything you want me to do? Is there anything I need to do to put right this thing that's been allowed to grow in my heart, even if it's only been for a few hours or a few days. For some of us, it's years, isn't it? And the longer it goes on, remember, the stronger the stronghold gets, because it gets reinforced over and over. Every time you think revenge, every time you think anger and upset with the person that did something to you 20 years ago, every time you rehearse it in your mind, you build another layer of the stronghold. You know, so some of us, it's quite a big one. But it's the same thing applies. Repentance is powerful to the pulling down of strongholds. We, the fifth R is we replace. We replace what we have been doing with what we know the truth of what God does want. And we speak that out. I speak it over myself. Tim, God created you to be a forgiver. He created you to be an example of forgiveness. He created you to bear with one another. He, he created you not to take offence, but to turn away offence with a kind word. He told you not to be in unforgiveness. Take, let no root of bitterness take hold in your heart, but instead always turn to the Lord. And I speak that out over my heart. And because I've used the illustration of forgiveness... Um, I could have used it for anything, any stronghold. May I just say that when it comes to unforgiveness, it is not always wise or necessary to tell the person that you have forgiven, that you've forgiven them. <laughs> oh, well, that's another matter. And sometimes it's not right to trust them again. Not trusting someone is not unforgiveness. If someone has seriously abused us, it will be very difficult and probably unhelpful to ever trust them again. But you can forgive them. We'll come on to that in week five. We've got a whole, uh, six, we've got a whole, a whole session on forgiveness because in our experience, it's the most significant stronghold we have to deal with. It's the cause of almost loads of other things in our lives. Um, unforgiveness is, is something that is, is, is just so vital. 
And um, it's a really good point um, Michelle makes, because actually forgiving someone else doesn't mean you trust them necessarily. It may be wise not to trust somebody, actually, because you don't know whether they've dealt with their stuff. But you don't necessarily need to say anything to them. Forgiveness is about you. It's about your heart, not about them. I remember somebody once in my church coming up to me and saying, Tim, I just want you to know I've forgiven you. I had no idea what I'd done. And uh, they might have felt better about it, but it left me for the next couple of weeks thinking, what on earth I could possibly have said or done? Uh, It's not always helpful. And keep in mind, the fact that you felt bitter and angry and upset with the other person, it may be that the other person never intended it like that. It may be that you took it in one way, but they never intended it. The unforgiveness is real, but the cause of it might not be what you think it is. So it's best just to recognize that unforgiveness is about your heart. Unforgiveness, forgiving someone else doesn't change them. It changes you. (laughs) This is about me, not you. I forgive you for my sake, because I don't want to be hindered with unforgiveness. That's how it kind of goes. Um, So we'll come on to that, but I have to say that because I used used forgiveness um, as the illustration. Those are the five parts of repentance that I want to draw to your attention. Um, Repentance is a lifestyle. It's it's something that I've learned to do as a kind of a spiritual discipline. I'm constantly seeing things that I I recognize in myself. Um, And the thing is, you often think, well, I don't think I have um, that many strongholds, Tim. I think you have a really serious issue with them, but I think I don't really recognize that. Ask your friends. I don't, get, I don't get upset about things. I don't get agitated about things. I never get on a high horse and get on a hobby horse where I can't really stop talking about something I feel a grievous injustice about. Do I, Naomi? <laughs> Did you hear that? I love that. <laughs> Everyone else can see your strongholds, so why not admit them and recognize them? And in a way, not, this is not to feel condemned. This is the path to freedom. In a way, I kind of learned to relax into my struggles. <laughs> I know that I struggle with this. It's kind of funny, it's not funny because of what it's hindered me, but I recognize that now. And Lord, I'm sorry about that. I've done it again. But Lord, I'm so sorry. Thank you for your forgiveness. But right again now, I declare, I I am a capable man of God who's been called by you to exercise uh, wisdom in this situation. And I'm not going to cave into fear and I'm not going to give in to insignificance. So in Jesus' name, I replace insignificance. I replace it with the call and the significance that God has placed upon my life. He's called me to be a pastor. And in this instance, I have to make a decision. So Lord, I do it in peace and I do it with authority because you've called me to do it. And I'm learning to pray that thing all the time. Throughout the day, I'm kind of doing that. You think, well, isn't that very exhausting? No, living with strongholds is far more exhausting. It's much easier to live in a constant lifestyle of repentance. Oh, I don't think that quite lines up with God's will. Oh, I don't think God's will for me is to feel like this right now. No, I don't think God's will is for that. And I just learn all the time. No, I'm I'm rejecting that. I'm not having that. Um, And I'm learning. I'm learning to live like that. Repentance is a lifestyle. Last week, I gave you out a sheet, and you've got it in the notes. I, I urge you to look at it. It's called Who I Am in Christ. That's the truth of what God has called you to be. That's the truth. Who I am in Christ. You, if, you, if you don't have your notes from last week with you, don't worry. Um, but I, I encourage you to have a look at it. Who I am, because that's God's truth. Okay? If you look at the, uh, is it the last sheet I 
put in the notes for this week. It's called God's Original Design or God's Intended Purpose. I don't know if you can see that one there. Now, be not daunted by this. This is really just a summary of everything that we've kind of been sharing. We need a strong foundation of love and truth to live a restored life. But most of us have love deficits, things where we've not been made complete in love. We have wounds and we have hurts, and we've not been loved 100% in the way God intended us to be loved and knows that we need to be loved. We've also allowed core lies to infect our lives. Some of it just came through generational stuff. Uh, lies about you're not loved, you're not precious, you're nothing special, you don't have a role in the body. All, those, all the opposites of those who I am in Christ. <laughs> the reason we put those sheets out is because so many people like to believe that, but if they're honest, they don't feel that that's true. They don't see the good of it in their lives. God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And here down the middle is we call it his plumb line. That's how God created us to be. But sometimes we don't feel celebrated or wanted. We're not forgiving. We're not hope-filled. We're not teachable. We reject intimacy. Um, We're not gentle. We're brash and unkind. And that's all because we have love deficits, core lies in our lives. And when we respond, our strongholds, we either, our behaviours as a result of our strongholds will either be aggressive or they'll be passive. Uh, Passive goes down the left-hand side. Instead of being hopeful, we become hopeless. Instead of becoming uh, present to the people God wants me to be with, I become withdrawn. Instead of being victorious, I become defeated. Poor me. Self-pity comes into my life. Um, instead of uh, knowing that I'm forgiven, I yield to condemnation. Oh, I'll never really know his forgiveness. I'm not sure God can really forgive my sin. Well, he's forgiven my sin, but I'll have to live with the consequences for the rest of my life. Um, that, that's my burden to bear. Um, well, that shows that you haven't really received his forgiveness properly, because God's forgiveness is total and complete, and it restores you. We're, we're to love ourselves, but self-hatred creeps in. You might think self-hatred, oh, I never hate myself, but we do hate ourselves. Every time we compare ourselves to someone else or wish we were more like someone else, it's self-hatred. It's rejecting the person God made me to be and wishing I was somebody that I couldn't be. At the very least, it's covetousness. It's breaking one of the Ten Commandments. So uh, take your pick which you, how you choose to describe it, but it's wrong. But we yield to it. It's a passive way when we've been hurt and not living in the plumb line of God's love and truth. Sometimes we, we respond aggressively to the same thing. So the same uh, stronghold of fear in one person might lead them to be withdrawn. It might lead them to feel defeated. It might lead them to um, be apathetic and hopeless. Other people, it might lead them to compensate for that fear by being aggressive or uh, becoming uh, uh, very stubborn or critical of everybody else. It's a more aggressive way of responding to the same pain. And every one of us is different, and every one of us will respond in different ways. But that's just trying to show you how God is always wanting to bring us back to the center. This is how God intended us to be. This is his intended plan and purpose for me in every situation I face, whatever difficulty or challenge. Whoever says whatever they say about me, um, 
whoever says something, God wants me to meet it with this plumb line of his love and his truth. But strongholds push me off onto either side. And where I recognize these patterns in my life, I'm learning to pull them down and replace them with the truth of God. And the more I do it, the more centered on God's truth I become. After our group time, we're going to practice. We're going to look at one stronghold called insignificance, and we're going to look through it, and then we're going to practice. We're going to stand together, and we are going to pray, and we're going to repent of insignificance in our lives. Because you might think, oh, insignificance? Well, poor you, that's something we, we should have... Surely we should have sympathy for you. Look, I'd be very happy with sympathy if it broke strongholds, but sympathy doesn't break strongholds. Sympathy, you know, makes me feel a bit better about myself for a day, but then the stronghold will come back again. It's just, it doesn't do anything. It just makes, it just masks it. It's like a sticking plaster. Sympathy doesn't pull down strongholds. Um, insignificance is, is a sin because God says you are significant. And if I say I'm insignificant, I'm, I'm rejecting God's truth. I don't want to be doing that. We shouldn't be doing that. God says, you're the apple of my eye. I love you. I've made you with a plan and a purpose. Oh, but I don't feel very significant. Look, you better repent of that because it's not the truth. You're in rebellion against God's truth. Don't stay in that place. Repent. Lord, I am significant. No matter what my heart tells me, whatever I feel, I know it's a lie because I trust your word is truth. So anyway, you get the picture, don't you? Let's get into our groups. You can, we can answer. We've got some questions on the screen tonight. Um, and we've got uh, 20, 25 minutes to do this. We're going to finish at 20 past nine, giving us a bit of time to do some work together, to do some practical prayer together. So um, in our groups, a chance to just you know, talk about how you found this session. And here are the questions. So what's happened to um, I don't know if you had enough time to get through uh, all the questions. Any, any questions come out that you think might be helpful just to ask? Two good questions. Yeah. Yeah.
in what way is repentance a gift from God? Um, uh, yeah, in what way is it a gift from God? Um, I, I, think, I think the capacity that we have as human beings to be able to um, recognise something that intuitively, mentally or emotionally is, is, is screaming at us the opposite, but the capacity to nonetheless recognise that it isn't the, the, the truth of God, it isn't what he wants. The ability to recognise that is it's the most redeeming capacity God has given us because it means I can actually learn not to trust uh, the things that happened to me in the past, the thoughts that might go on in my head, or even the emotions it generates. I, I actually have got the capacity to nonetheless say, but over and above all that, I'm going to trust God's word. I, I just think that, that that is a gift. And I think in Romans, when it talks about God's kindness, it leads us to repentance. I think the linking there but with kindness and with the capacity to repent, um, I see that as the kindness of, of God. I, that might be stretching it kind of a, a, a little bit, but I think if God's kindness results in repentance, then that would have to be because God intended that, that it's something that he's given me that ability to do. Again, best answer I can give. I could probably have more time and give you a solid theological answer for it, but that's that's the best I could I can do now. Um, and because repentance is the way we become Christians in the first place, um, we'd be pretty stuck if we didn't have it. Repentance is a choice, but I think it's a choice that God enables us to have. Um, it's the capacity of being created in the way that we have, and I think therefore we receive it as a gift. Um, because without it, we wouldn't even be able to become Christians. We wouldn't have the, the tools with which to express our wish for Jesus Christ in our lives. But I think repentance is a choice. I think it's something that we can decide that we're going to do. We, we make a choice that God's word is true, and everything in my head and my heart that might be screaming the opposite is somehow wrong. However it's come about, it's wrong, because God is true. And this is what God says. And this must be true. And if this isn't true, then I can't trust any of it. If God is proven a liar on one single point, the whole thing's like a pack of cards and it all falls down. But he's totally faithful to his word, and therefore I have to trust that his word is supreme. Um, and I choose, that's a choice. I mean, faith is primarily a choice. It's not a feeling. It's an act of will um, that says I choose based on what I, I believe about God, what I've seen in the lives of others who have trusted him, I'm going to make that my choice. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Um, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's a choice. It's like a covenant, isn't it? Like a marriage covenant, for better or for worse. It's my choice. And that's the way it's going to be. Yeah, we'll do one more question, then we'll do this. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, okay, okay. So, so when we repent, um, we're initiating a power encounter, but it is sometimes possible that just out of the mercy and goodness of God, a power encounter leads us to repent. And I, I, yeah, I'm sure. I, do, I don't think I want to be too prescriptive about any of, any of this that we're teaching. These are just principles, and of course, God can, can do it other ways, and God can um, break into our lives at, at any point. 
um, often he has done in where there's been no or little repentance on my part he's kindly broken into my life and and done things in my life and sometimes broken powers in my life uh, without me going through all, all of that the stuff that's just the mercy of God um, and I, I I would love to say well I think God's mercy um, you know, why don't we just rely on God's mercy then? Why, why do we have to do any of this? Let's just, you know, love God and in his mercy he will from time to time um, break these powers in my life to, so that I'm free to live the life that I want to. And then you're down to the age-old argument, aren't you, of the uh, kind of the Armenian or the um, Calvinist. It's, it's like, well, do you, to what extent is, do you just have to say, well, it's, it's God's work, let him do it, I can't do anything about it, or to what extent do I actually have to do the work? Um, and then God's grace breaks in. The answer is it's both, both and. But I don't think we have to, and it's wise to just wait. Well, I, I feel deeply unforgiving towards this person. But you know what? I'm just going to wait until the grace of God breaks into my life and just makes that bitterness go away. I, I think that's, that's what I should do. Come on. You know, um, that's, that's not a good thing to do, is it? So I think we want to trust that God's grace can break into our lives, and it does, and we've all experienced that, and it's wonderful. Um, but I don't think that that principle should stop us from doing the work of repentance and faith um, and pulling down strongholds. I, I don't think the two are in conflict. I think it's both and, isn't it? Paul says, I worked harder than all of the others, than all the other apostles. I worked hard. I, I, I sweated. I, I, I walked hundreds of miles in order to fulfill the gospel that God called. Yet not I. It was God's power in me. It's both and, is, is it? You know, what's that old phrase that everyone attributes everything to Augustine, but it probably wasn't. Uh, pray as if everything depended upon God, isn't it? And work as if everything depended on you. Yeah, absolutely. He's done it on the cross, but we have to put that into practice. We have to work. The pulling down of strongholds is, is it's not, it's connecting to the power of the cross by doing it. It's not saying Jesus hasn't done it. It's connecting to its power. It's, um, it's a position. Repentance is a positioning of my mind. It's lining up my mind with the truth of God, coming into line with what God's truth says. Um, um, no, I don't, I don't think so. Maybe we could chat after. Is that okay? Shall we? I'd like, what I'd like to do now is, because we need to finish up, I'd like just to stand, and we're going to just look at this insignificant stuff. Oh, no, let's do that first, and then we'll stand. Sorry, don't stand. Sit. <laughs> now, if you don't find these helpful, we just use these in the early days, because it helps us to spot patterns in my life not all of us will be wrestling with a deep stronghold of insignificance. Not all of us will be experiencing some of this. But for some of us, this will almost be a defining thing in our lives. And um, th please don't think long and hard about this. It's not about trying to find hidden, deep uh, sins in your life. You know if this is stuff that's there in your life. You'll recognize, that, oh yeah, I always do that. Um, and it's not about ticking them, that they look like tick boxes, but you don't have to tick them. It's just a way of showing some of the behaviours that result from a stronghold of insignificance, where for some reason, 
despite everything God says about me, I still wrestle to believe it fully. And I know that I do because I'm not walking in. When I'm anxious about it, I've proved that I'm not yet fully trusting in God's love. When I'm angry with somebody and won't let something go, I've proved that I'm not yet living in the full peace of God. And my behaviours give me away um, that these things are there. Insignificance is rooted in the I can't, I am nothing lie. And it is a lie. I'm nobody from nowhere. I'm ugly. I'm weak. I have nothing to give to anyone. Um, you don't want to speak to me because you're superior to me. Um, I don't say hi to people. I become withdrawn. I don't, no one really knows me because I don't think anybody really cares enough to want to know me. I, I, I'm shy. Shy. It's not, not a sin to be shy, but I, I, I'm, I, I, I yield to that shyness um, and I believe it's because I'm less of value and I'm, I'm of, of less uh, importance than other people. I don't see any good in who the Lord created me to be. I dislike myself. I'm aware of uh, insignificance breeds a heightened awareness of self. I'm self-conscious. I compare myself to others. Number three, insignificance means we always lose when comparing ourselves with others. I constantly compare myself to others and I always fall short. I fear speaking to people who I regard as superior to me. Um, this is just stuff that gets built into our hearts and minds. And some of you are thinking, yeah, I do that. And others of you are thinking, oh, I never do that. Well, that's great. Um, but for some, you'll see these patterns, um, which are indicative of this stronghold of insignificance, which many of us will wrestle with in different ways. But it's important that we recognise it because then we can repent of it and line our thoughts up with what God has to say about us. We can go to war, if you like, against this lies that the enemy has sown into our minds and our hearts. Um, number four, insignificance causes us to fear or avoid healthy God-given challenges. Um, we are relieved when someone else gets chosen to do something. I don't want to have to do it because I feel it's... I'm insignificant, I don't, I don't want to uh, put myself forward. Um, we prefer to remain hidden or anonymous. Um, we avoid taking risks. We don't see ourselves as spiritual uh, warriors because that's just not me. I just don't do that. I'm not, I'm not up there with the great heroes of the faith. Um, over the page, insignificance rests on a heavy unbelief about our own authority and our God-given place in the body of Christ. You know, the enemy has tried to steal away the authority that Christ has given you. Um, he tries to steal it away um, by, by, by the, this lying to us, basically. And so we think, well, I don't have the authority to speak um, this truth. It's not going to work when I do it um, because I'm not a great person of faith. So it's, um, it rests heavily on an unbelief about our authority. Insignificance actually breeds self-pity. It causes us to withhold blessing from others. When we're insignificant, we don't feel we've got anything to give to someone else, and so we don't bother because, well, it's not going to be worth anything to them. Um, lies and deceptions um, can flow from insignificance. Um, when we feel insignificant, we often, one way it exp expresses itself is we have a great desire for, for human approval, um, for the approval of others, constantly wanting to get it from other people rather than from God. Um, and that may be a pattern that you see. Um, insignificance leads to ambition. 
one of the, that's a more aggressive way of dealing with um, insignificance. I try to make up for it by uh, performing and by um, accomplishing and uh, doing lots of stuff. And very often you would look at that person and think, how on earth could they feel insignificant? Look at all they've done. But all that they'd done, it was, they were driven to that by a deep sense of insignificance. Um, and so it can take some sort of rooting out. But as Christians, we don't want to put up with this. But, you know, Jesus Christ has died upon the cross, restored us to a place of intimacy with the Father, and he's given us huge significance. And he says that every life matters. Every life is important. If you'd be the only person on the face of the world, Jesus would have died for you. He's given us that incredible significance, and he wants us to live in the good of it, not weighed down with this stuff. And whether or not this is something you relate to hugely, I'd love us just to kind of like, the last bit tonight, should we just go to war against insignificance where it, where it gets some of our brothers and sisters, where it stops them from being the people that God intended them to be? Can we do this together? Well, let's stand. To repentance is so I'm going to lead you in repentance and uh, somebody did say it would be helpful if we had the prayer on the screen and I fully meant to do it and then forgot so you're going to have to trust me I'm going to pray line by line I'm going to encourage you to pray after me I do realize that means you think well I don't know what he's going to pray well I agree with it um, well uh, if you don't don't repeat it after me but I will try next week and have these prayers on the screen so that at least you can see what's coming rather than feel you've got to but I want to um, take a hold of insignificance. In my own life, I see it there. I've been honest with you about it. And for some of you, it'll be a big deal. And we as the body of Christ, we want to go to war against insignificance. We want to take the weapons of our warfare to see its effect. And it's all lies. There's no power left in it because Jesus has already broken the power. Its power is because you believe it. So we need to come against the lie of the enemy. And we're going to do it in prayer. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, dear Heavenly Father, I recognize insignificance at times in my life. Lord, I'm sorry. Because you tell me that I'm significant. And I know that you love me. And I've allowed this lie to grow. And I ask forgiveness. And I receive it now in Jesus' name. I receive it now in Jesus' name. And now I choose to repent of insignificance. And now I choose to repent of insignificance. I turn away from it. I choose to believe the truth of God. I am significant. God has a plan and purpose for me. And now in Jesus' name, I take authority over every part, every area of my heart, over every area of my heart that I have given over to insignificance. 
and I take it back now. And I place it under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And I proclaim every power of insignificance has been broken in my life. And I command the power of insignificance to go in my life, in my friends' lives. And now, Father, I replace insignificance with significance. I choose to believe your word. I will trust what you say about me. Your word is true. Your love is guaranteed. The place that you have assigned to me is a good one. I'm so thankful for it. And I will inherit it and I will inhabit it, and I'm going to enjoy it. In Jesus' name, amen. And as we stay in prayer, now what we do is this. See, repentance is a position of the heart. To the extent that you, you, we've been honest in what we've said, and we genuinely want to turn away from insignificance towards significance. You've positioned your heart. Now we can welcome the Holy Spirit because he's got something to fill. You've created space. You've created faith to be kindled by declaring the truth of what God says. So I pray now that the Holy Spirit will come. Father, would you come on every person who identifies significantly with this, um, <laughs> uh, identifies a lot with this stronghold of insignificance. Um, Father, would you come now? Holy Spirit of God, would you come and put into practice? Well, we've, we've set the points. Would you now come and would you break this power in the name of Jesus? Break it in the life of every person who has, has wrestled under this this lie of the enemy. Father, I, I proclaim that we will not allow insignificance to rule in Christchurch. We will not allow this to, to take, but when we see it in the lives of others, uh, we want to lift them out of it. We want to see the chains broken. We want to see people lifted into their significance, lifted into the purpose and call you have for their lives. We want to see them enjoying and basking in the fullness of what you've made them to be. Father, we want to be a church committed to freedom, committed to seeing people free from everything that will keep them bound into insignificance. Father, I want to see every uh, thought pattern that leads to insignificance broken in the life of Christ Church. I want to see it broken in my life, in the lives of my friends here. Well, Christ Church will be a place of significance where people get restored to them what the enemy has tried to steal. Well, so many people um, just wondering what their life consists of, whether there's any point in any of it. And we have this wonderful truth that we need to live with joy so that others looking 
at our way of life will say, how, how, do you, how do you have such confidence that it all matters? How do you have such confidence that your life counts for anything? Well, that would be the power of the cross. That would be the truth of Jesus at work in my life. Jesus, I want this place to be a church like that. I want this church to be free of every uh, lie of the enemy that speaks against our significance and our value, the incredible worth that you've placed upon each person. I pray that value, that worth would settle afresh in each heart now. Holy Spirit, would you come into that place of insignificance? Would you now bring your truth and your love as we've positioned ourselves in repentance? Would you now come and fill it? And Father, as we go um, tonight, I pray that, um, uh, that the truth of your word and all that you have said about me and all that you have shown that you intend for me in every situation, Lord, I pray that you'll keep me from any, uh, keep us from any condemnation. Instead, uh, keep us rejoicing that this is the path to freedom and that that this is something that you long for us and we want to move further into restoration um, and I pray that you will help us to do that and what still seems strange or difficult to grasp or understand Lord where I've been inadequate in expressing it or sharing it um, I pray that no scheme of the enemy will be allowed to sow uh, doubt or frustration um, in any heart Lord, where things haven't been as clear as they could be, I pray that you will bring clarity, that you'll bring peace. But I pray that you, above all, bring the truth of your word to bear upon our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.